leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. It is CISO Thursdays. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. I have an amazing guest, two amazing guests. <laughs> My co-host, Chris. Hey, everyone. <laughs> hey, everyone. Oh, welcome. He's quiet. And the infamous Dutch Schwartz is back with us today. Hey, everybody. Great to be here. I'm thrilled. <laughs> so um, before we jump into it, we, as usual, want everyone to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Um, make sure you hit us up on YouTube. Hopefully, um, we have. I've saw. I saw last week and the week before a ton of people actually joining from YouTube instead of joining oh, cool. from Facebook. So that's. I mean, from Facebook, from from LinkedIn, which is super cool. Like Zoe, who says Happy CISO Thursdays. Happy, happy. Um, Dutch is our CISO for the day today, or our CISO in, in uh, air quotes for the day today, um, because Naomi Buckwalter can't be here today, and James is still in Israel, so he cannot be here today either. Um, so we wanted to kick it off today talking about growing in your cybersecurity career. So, you know, Dutch gets these questions all the time. Chris and I get them too, but we definitely want to hear J Dutch's perspective because Dutch has grown, obviously, in his security uh, career, works with so many CISOs. Um, so, Dutch, talk to us about some of the things that you've learned or you've heard um, sure. from people, some of the questions that you get, and we'll just kick off the discussion from there. Yeah, and I think the backdrop, and we've touched on it a couple of times in the past, but the backdrop too is that we're still pretty young as a discipline, right? Relative to other disciplines. And so that's really, it's important context because I don't, you know, that that's the, that's the sort of the, the why behind the things that I'm about to say. Right. So, so we've, we've gone from we're, we're Chris or if Renee or James were here and they would raise, you know, raise their hand, it was, Hey, I'm just the person who's leaned into security. Or I'm really interested in security. I'm talking about 10, 15 years ago. Right. And so then they grew their career and, and, and that by then definition is really, I was a practitioner, which is critical, you know, and I continued to build, you know, a host of skills around that. And then at some point I had an inclination or maybe they tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, Renee, we really want you to go from like team leader to manager to director and so on and so forth. And that's a natural progression when you look at CIOs back in the 80s and you can just scroll backwards, right? And look at a, a progression for, for roles. And so where that, where that leaves us today, though, is CISOs. Uh, at especially at large enterprise companies, likely grew up as practitioners, right? And so great grounding, really can be empathetic and and and, and dig in with their folks. Um, but there wasn't a really well-defined kind of set of paths, like, oh, path A, B, or C, and this is how I become that. And because of that, and Naomi has actually touched on this before, there was less, whether it was informal or formal or schooling or not, it doesn't really matter, but there was less kind of emphasis on the other skills that you need when you become a people leader, right? And so that's one of the questions that I see or a lot of the discussion around, what are those other skills, right? And Naomi had brought this up about leadership skills, right? And so I think that's an important thing to think about um, if that's your path, right? If that's something you're interested, you're aspiring to be a senior security leader, you need to start thinking about what were the other things that would round out my skill set, And so that's really all the non-technical things, right? Whatever those would be, right? Doesn't mean you need to relinquish the, like, I don't, if you're really great, I love to be the person who sets up the phishing attacks for my own company. Whatever, I mean, a lot of times I see a CISO, you know, hold on to our senior leader, hold on to like one area or something, right? That they really like, I see Chris smiling. And that's, that's 
totally cool. But uh, the other things you need to work on as well, because ultimately the CISO at scale, right, at a, at particularly a large company, is a risk advisor. Your cybersecurity risk advisor to the business. And to be really effective that way, you have to have build rapport and earn trust and the things that we would all kind of understand naturally. But also you need to understand the business and you have to be able to effectively communicate, not just to your peers. So chief marketing officer, CEO, the board of directors, but also to your team. And you need to be able to come to you know a young Chris who's you know early in the career and say, I know this thing is really critical to you. The business has decided they're going to accept this risk. We need to move on to this other project, or I need you to focus on these other vulnerabilities or what have you. So that's me just sort of setting the stage. But I, Chris, I'd be interested in hearing what, what you see and, and what you think about those other skills that you need to build out. Yeah, I mean, those other skills really comes in sending the ladder back down, right? Um, you made your way back up in your career and you want to do the same for others that are below you. So to have an effective team, you need to be able to grow with them. You need to understand where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and that helps you fill out the team, whether it's in recruiting, in building out new skill sets on your team, by being able to understand the buildup and makeup of your team, which players like to do what tasks, then you can find the most optimal path for them within that company or maybe somewhere else, right? Because eventually they might sure. want to grow and they might want to grow out. And then you can also build that pipeline of if you have player A, B, and C, um, who do you need to hire next to fill in uh, the strengths that you're looking for in your team to be successful? And some of those people could be non-technical people um, right. because you need to work with the business. So maybe you need a business analyst. Um, maybe you need an Intel analyst that can go out and gather the requirements from, from the different lines of business and provide those those um, minimum requirements as to what the business needs to be successful to pass on to the rest of the team. Because it, it's really back, as you mentioned, back to business enablement once you get to that level. Yeah, great, great insights. Renee, other thoughts that you want to add on that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, some of the things that you, the comment that you made that I think a lot of people who are looking up towards that leadership role um, don't realize is the chief risk space. Like when you said you're the chief cybersecurity risk person. Um, and I don't you're an think advisor. You, that's how, again, that's just my terminology. But yeah. I mean, that sometimes kind of helps people understand that you're an advisor at that, at that level. Right. Yeah. At that level, that's what you're doing. You're advising, you're, you know, working across you, or you are a business leader. Um, right. And, um, I think that comes as a bit of a surprise sometimes, especially mm -hmm. lower down the chain. You know, people are always, you know, they think it's just purely tech, purely, you know, a stock and operations or, you know, pen testing. And, you know, they think it's just purely that, especially in these big enterprise wide um um, enterprise size organizations is totally risk. Like all you're doing is discussing cyber risks, talking to your peers about it. Like you said, the CMO, the CFO, the CT, you know, all these other people. Um, so I really like that you brought that out, that that is an area um, that people may not necessarily realize that as they start climbing up that chain, that's what, that's what it is. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. people kind of get there and it, I think folks now may be realizing like, oh, wow, this is what it is. But sometimes people get there and then they're a little bit surprised or they realize this isn't what they really like to do. Like, right. I don't really like the politics. I don't like this. I don't like that, which is what it is at that level. And we discussed it, I think, on last week's live or two weeks ago. when We talked about, you know, I think it was James saying, you know, if you see um if you see um, presidents sitting at a, a, you know, at a banquet or something and it's a photo op and what are they really talking about? And they're, you know, making jokes about the different, they're not talking business because the business mm -hmm. is already done, you know? And so the communication skills and understanding how to maneuver in organizations are so very important to your point, the stuff that's not written out on a job description, the technical stuff, but sometimes actually at that level, they will write that out. Like you have sure. to be able to influence across, you know, influence your peers, um, you know, drive to execution, all those types of, you know, the real leadership, like leadership qualities um, will be listed out.
So I wanted to just shout a couple people out. Terrence is here. Hey, Terrence. And David says, finally, a little lull in the business, and I get to jump in. Great to see Chris and Renee in a new face. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't here when Dutch. Dutch, what were you here? Was it Christmas Eve? We did the New Year's, Year's Eve. Year's Eve. New we Year's did New Year's Eve. Eve. Yeah, I've been on like as a get, you know, like on, on chatting with you guys before. But yeah, it was New Year's. Yeah, I remember because you wanted to wear crowns or uh, yeah, yeah, we wore costumes. we wore costumes. We we love costumes. We need costumes. Yeah. <laughs> we need costumes again. That's when it's fun. Brent says. Uh, Brent says the political part of the role tends to turn a lot of people off. It's true. It's yeah, and that's true. fair. I think to your point, Renee, like. To, as, as Chris said, if you send the ladder back down, right, part of that is explaining, hey, when, you know, and again, I want to be clear, you're at a small company, it's the three of us, that's totally different, or 25, or, no, it's a, so there's a variation, I'll be really clear on that, but again, so I'm sort of orienting on, at scale, like you're talking about very large enterprise, et cetera, and, and that's okay if it's not your bag, like you can be senior individual contributor, you can be, you know, a, a team lead, uh, and, and be tremendously impactful, right? But to your, to your, kind of to your comment, Renee, it's behooves us to help them understand what the role is, right? And, yeah. and that's a really important thing to say. Hey, look, you know, you're still gonna, you know, play in the Raspberry Pi, and you're still gonna do these things, and there's still technical aspects. You know, you're that's probably integral to why you like the, the just the area of cybersecurity. But more of the role becomes strategy, alignment, enablement, like Chris said. Right. Uh, how do I how do I grow the team? How do I do coaching? Right. You know, these yeah. are the things that that uh, are going to become more critical. And if it's not your jam, that's OK. But like we need to try to help you understand that that is where that role goes over time. James made a point last week. When he said that, you know, some he says sometimes vendors ask him, what do you you know, what, what's in your, you know, what SIM do you use or whatever? I don't know. It was, it was something specific. Sure. And he's like, I don't even know anymore. Like, that's not my job. My job isn't to be that deep in the weeds to know what specifics text that all that kind of stuff. It's really mm -hmm. truly being that leader. So go ahead, Chris. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say from the recruiting aspect, um, as you recruit for these leads, where do you see the, the demand is from employers mm -hmm. looking for these senior roles? Like what are the key skill sets that you're looking for? Is that for me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> as a recruiter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So when... So, you know, when you have the individual contributor roles, it's mostly, you know, like the cloud architect. So usually, you know, obviously people get up the chain and then architect tends to be um, the space where uh, that's like could be the top of the heap or senior consultant or, you know, the the most the advisor like Dutch's to, to CISOs. Um, and the skill sets at that level is really around leading, driving, um, you know, coaching, hiring. They want leaders, like people who can lead. It's not necessarily they figure that you know enough about the tech that you can get that done. Um, but it's really about can you drive this project? Like I'm working on a recruitment project right now. And um it's all about driving the project. Like I need seeing the person said they're looking for a lead. They need a person who can lead this transformation. It's a technology, it's a tech transformation. And they said, we need someone who can actually take this bull by the horns. Like I don't, I want to be able to hand it off to someone and that they run with it mm -hmm. and they know what to do. And at that level, I don't want to have to, you know, I, I'm not going to them and telling them every single, you know, every single step of the way. Um, I expect them to come to me. I expect them to bring me the challenges, the complexities, the, the issues, and I'm just there to move things out of the way. Um, so it's really, you know, communication skills because this person, as Dutch talked about earlier, as we talked about, you know, we always talk about, they have to be able to, you're not in a silo. You're not just working in security now. If you're leading, you know, part of a transformation, you have to, you got to meet with chief marketing officer or the lead or whoever in that group. You have to meet with all these various people in these different departments, the finance department, the, you know, the 
I don't know, HR department, all these various departments in these, especially these enterprise-wide organizations where a project like that is like, you know, millions of dollars and you, you're, you're the person that's in charge. So um, definitely a combination of consultative skills, communication skills. And like I said before, at that point, they figure like you've already more or less grown up, like you know enough about the technology that it's really not about that anymore. It's really about those leadership, quote unquote, soft skills. And, and that's, if I could pull oh, a thread of what Chris said earlier too, and there's opportunities to bring people over, right? Who have domain expertise, right? I mean, so I was talking with a friend of mine who's a former CISO and he was saying, hey, look, like if you do forensic accounting, you might be great, right? To do to do threat hunting. Uh, I mean, so there's, there's skills that we can bring over because we can teach you the technical aspects too, right? So there's sort of this, you know, tongue in cheek joke sometimes in, where we talk about, are you a technical CISO or are you a business CISO, right? And that kind of goes to the heart of it, right? And then you have this, like, there's a, I saw a hot take this morning where you run love. He's like, well, it's not an either or, it's both. And I and I, I tend to agree with that as well, right? So you have to have an understanding, right? And so I'll just sort of ground you, like, just from my point of view, since James is not here, right? So I was enlisted in the military and an officer. So I've seen both sides of this equation, right? So one is tactical, individual small teams, and one is strategic. And the difference is when you get to a strategic role, what a title or level is, it doesn't really matter, but you'll know, right? When it starts to become more about the people, then you're in a strategic role, right? To coach, mentor, lead, et cetera. And, and you have to, frankly, I'll just say from a personal, you have to start letting go of things, right? I can't, I'm no longer the sniper because I have snipers, right? I'm training people and coaching them. And it's the same thing, you know, in, in any domain. And it's, it's certainly the same here, right? So I love James's comment, right? You probably shouldn't have root access to everything as the CISO because you have people. Chris is, you know, I mean, you have people. You have people to do that. And frankly, if you were to do that, you would also um, infringe on their opportunity for growth and learning, right? They have to be, Chris, you got to be in the hot seat, right? Like you have to be the person who's sorting that out in the soccer, whatever the, the situation is. And you've got to let them do that in the same way that, you know, if you have kids, the same way you have to let kids learn and learning is usually failing, frankly, right? That's where the big gap, the big learning takes place is when you fail at something, go, oh, how can I do this differently? That didn't work. And you have to give them a safe space to the degree that the business would allow it, depending on the, the risk and situation to, to make those kind of you know, mistakes so that they can learn. I think, I think the other thing too is um, if you are deep down in the trenches, you often can't detach yourself enough from the incident that's happening to be able to see what are the strategic implications to the business. And for example, Colonial Pipeline, like it's their billing system, but what ripple effects does this billing system have on the entire business and dropping $4 million to pay the ransom versus trying to do the right thing per the hacker mentality of not paying on the threat actors. Um, the business decision is let's get it up going quickly as possible. Like we don't care. $4 million is less than 1% of their gross annual revenue. It's a drop in nothing for them. So let's just get that out of the way and deal with it. Um, and it's those types of decisions that you have to be strategic about and detach yourself from what's happening and what you might do as a practitioner versus now you're running a business and this is how you're going to advise the business the best way to tackle their risk. Yeah, yeah. spot on, Chris. I mean, that's that's why I think that that term, if it resonates with people, that advisor term tends to work, right? Because um, Renee, if you're the uh, vice president of one of our business line units and you want to lean into a particular decision because you think speed or scale or something is really critical the second half of this year. And then Chris and I say, hey, here's the risks inherent in that. And here's how we want to do that. Ultimately, if you're the business leader and you own it, it's your choice, right? We advise, we, we, we coach, we, you know, we try to, hopefully we have a rapport and relationship with you, but ultimately if it's your choice, right? And, and I think great Cecil's to say, it's not my, my job to say no to things. It's my job to say yes. And also if we do that, Renee, here are the things that we need to consider, right? It's yes. Right. And yes. And yes. However, yes, right. we can, we can do anything. It's however, the these are the implications. For are you willing this. To and ultimately, again, it's just kind of the throwing the ladder back down, like Chris said, then we have to go back to, again, the less experience was, Hey, the, here's the choice. 
the choice was they needed their, uh, make it up. They're going to lean into this ERP software, even though it wasn't our recommendation because they think it's critical to move forward. And you have to explain to them that's the business's choice because we're here to enable them safely, but to enable them. And if they decided to accept risk, then we document that they've accepted that risk and we move forward. And then we do our best to mitigate and manage if it were to occur. Some great comments coming in. John uh, Rosario says, hello, all great to catch this podcast again. While politics can be tricky, the best part of CISO seems to be influence the direction of an organization. Um, and then his additional comment is Dutch, great explanation regarding the strategic aspects of being a CISO. Chris enjoyed your question regarding the other aspects that make a person a good CISO candidate. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Craig Evans is back. Hey, Craig Evans. He says, hey, all been a while, but get to log back in. Get to see you all are still rocking. We are here. We did not go anywhere. <laughs> uh, Craig wants to know how much of that that is leadership skills of the leadership skills need to be technology um, or tech knowledge. If you have a career changer sure. who brings leadership skills but are new to the tech element, yeah, Chris, do you want to answer and then I'll, I'll go? Sure. I mean, I, I would say if you have a foundational knowledge of the tech and you have your own advisors that are going to advise you in the areas where you have gaps, you should be able to sufficiently lead an organization when it comes to that. Because the 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 cybersecurity field is evolving every day. There's a new CASB, there's a new this, there's a new that. And as a leader, you'll never be the expert in all those fields. You have to be able to um, delegate to your team have them become your advisors. So if you need to lean in on a topic, if you need to find out something, they'll brief you. You figure out how that affects the strategy of your, your department, your organization, and how you want to advise the business based on that. You will never be the expert in everything. And I know CISOs who've tried and they feel burnt out because there's it's ever expanding. It's like the universe growing all the time. <laughs> so you, you could choose a, a specific area that you want to be, um, a, a domain knowledge that you want to have and you want to be known for. Maybe that's cloud security or something like that. Um, but you'll have to delegate the rest to your team and let them advise you on those topics. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with all that. And I think, Craig, maybe to give you some some context or things to work with, uh, it, how mature is the organization? Have they had have they had a CISO before? Because that is a question that comes up. Maybe they haven't had a CISO before. Maybe you're a growing fast, medium sized company. And while Renee was the de facto, right? Because somebody had to have a name, you know, when you did the audit, but she's not really kind of a formal CISO. So that that's one part. Like how mature is the organization and and the team and the skills of the team, right? So like Chris said, if you have an existing team. And or, and or you can bring in key people, then it's it's less important. But this is kind of a Renee discussion of like when you're looking for that role fit, then right, you know, what do they need? I mean, is there a specific really big technical lift, and then maybe they do need to lean a little more tech, or that person has to be comfortable. They've got a really strong two or three people in that area. Um, but I think it's I think it's changing, right? And that's why we say this: Are you tech CISO? Are you business CISO? I, I think in three, four, five years, that will not be the same question. It'll be like, hey. It's a spectrum. And in this role, Chris needs to be lean a little more this way. And oh, okay, now two years later or three years later, he's either the business has changed or he's, you know, moved laterally or moved somewhere else or a different line of business. And then maybe that one is more like, hey, this one's really about team building. It's about coaching. It's about, you know, so so I think it's gonna be a spectrum and you're gonna see that. Cause that's what you see when you look at CIOs, CFOs, right? Again, there's a sort of a blank job description. Renee can talk about that. That is a template, but it's not like every CFO is the same. Every CEO is the same. Every chief revenue officer, they're not, right? I mean, that's that's part of that fit, that magic, right? right? That people like Renee do is finding that, right? Like what's important to you? And it may be not just technical skills. It may be like some of the things that we call out, right? As executive presence, you know, communication skills, team building, strategy, Right. That's a whole area in yeah. of itself. Right. You'd be able to do that. So those are some of the other things that you would want to consider. Yeah. And, you know, both of you made excellent points. The only thing I would add on is to, or double down on is that it, it depends. And what Dutch <laughs> kind of described is so he's so true. It's so true. It's totally. I'm sure not to use that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It, it does. 
it, it really truly does. Um, and it's based on where the, the organization is, how mature they are, how big it is, how, you know, what level of a person they need. Um, every, every single thing that Dutch just said, it's <laughs> just so double down on it. Um, yeah. in terms of, but, but Chris type. said, like, but you have to have a baseline. I mean, to be clear, absolutely, you know, there is I a mean, baseline, right? and, and I would say, yeah. And back to my comment of this, the role is still fairly, the role as we envision it over the next five years is still fairly new, right? And, and so, the, the things that have accelerated that are big and obvious, but I'll just point them out so we're kind of crystal clear it digital transformation. And then, and then, and then the COVID situation, those things compress that cycle, right? And, and, and what I mean is, irrespective of an individual or specific role, what that did was cybersecurity suddenly got a seat at the adult table because people all, all realize, wow, that's integral to my success of my business, right. right? It's no longer underneath IT. And I don't mean that like pejoratively, like IT is at her seat. I was in IT, but, but, you know, it has to, because of the criticality and the speed and the nature of cybersecurity today, that it has to have its own voice, right? And that is a change that we didn't really talk about five, six, seven years ago. So except in really specific like financial services, some of the federal space, you know I mean? Really okay. highly regulated spaces. You, we did, right? But just again, in the, it, you know, the enterprise in general, that wasn't a discussion. And, and today it very much is a discussion. So I just want to say that again. So there, there hasn't been a blueprint. So it'd be cool. There's one today. It'd be cool if there were a, Hey, you know, these are the kind of the baseline things that you need to know. Again, you don't have to be an expert in threat hunting, but you have to understand vulnerabilities. I mean, there's there's some baseline things. So I think that's kind of what Chris was implying. You can't have no technical oh, you know, under acumen, I would call it, you know, understanding. You don't right. necessarily have to be the one to go do that, but you have to understand the principles, the the, the tenants, the the critical pieces of that. So you can be like, hey, Renee, I need you to lean into da, 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 da. And then, you know, Renee and team go off and do that. But you have to have an understanding of the framework. And I would I would add like, you know, the CISSP where people say it's a mile, a mile, how do they call it? A mile wide and an inch thick, something like that. Is inch that the same? An inch Meaning a little bit about everything, like a little bit about a lot in security. Um, and that's another way to look at, okay, a l knowing enough, you know, to be able to leave but not having to be super deep um, in a, a specific skill set or in a specific space. So more comments. Uh, Early says, hey, Early, all the old school people are back. Yeah, hey, <laughs> These are the people that we haven't yeah. seen in ages. He says, happy June, everyone. I've been away for months. It's great to be back. Keep up the great work, Renee Small and team. Yes, this is definitely a team. Thank you. Um, I think we did this comment already. Uh, Brent says, instead of no is where... <laughs> yes, but instead of no is where more security wow. leaders need to live. Yes, but... Yes, I agree with that. So the yes, but um, because security people are known as in these organizations as the no people, like the police. Well, like, yeah, oh. and I'm just going to like nuance that up again and say the way that linguistics work and the way that people hear that, it, you may consider saying yes and also. Right. Yes, yes and, and also. Mm -hmm. Because if you say but in the like we're hanging out with our buddies, you know, shooting pool and you say but then it negates the front half of the sentence and, and common you know, kind of English terms, right? So, uh, you know, yes, and and also, yes, and did we consider, and yeah, you know, so yes, and is it just a kind of a little nuanced trick that you can use to move the conversation forward? So Renee feels like we're rowing in the same direction, and I'm just kind of shouting a couple of tips, you know, while we're rowing. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, Early wants to know, Renee, do, do you notice a widening of the gap between the demand of CISO roles to be filled versus available CISO candidates? That's an awesome question. So in the world where I am, and, and I don't know everything about every CISO, obviously, and every, you know, across the board, um, but I don't see a huge widening in the demand. Um, the demand... The, with a lot of um, organizations or as a whole, typically, you know, there's one CISO, one deputy, one chief, right? So CFOs, mm -hmm. whatever. The sure. demand usually comes from the 
people right underneath. So the folks that are under, you know, the cloud security, all of those other spaces, they tend to have like a lot of demand and maybe not all the time, but a lot based on what's happening in technology. And like last year with COVID, um, I saw a slowdown when it came to CISOs per se, but a huge uptick when it came mm. to underneath. <laughs> like all the people, the, the hands on keyboard workers, you know, huge, huge, huge demand there um, versus leaders in that space. Now it's probably the pendul pendulum will probably swing, um, but that's, and again, I'm one human. So <laughs> just one, it's just one space. I would have to do more due diligence around like what the demand is like. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if it's because, you know, if, if Chris is our dude, like we're, uh, we're not gonna make a change you know, uh, in, in a time of, of uncertainty. Right. And right. so I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, I, I have no idea, but it'd be interesting to see like if there were stats that, yeah, did, did we see in a, in a way stability because there weren't, there wasn't as much movement. I, I don't know. I, I that's an interesting yeah. question though, but it's yeah. encouraging of course that there was a lot of activity sort of, you know, director, manager, you know, all the other, all the other levels. Yeah. And I, 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 I think I you'll see, think... see it come back though. Right. Um, I, I think a lot, a lot of the, the sure. movement towards that transformation is like, hey, we have a pandemic, we have this this situation that needs to get dealt with. Let's deal with it. And mm -hmm. if the leader that we have isn't horrible or isn't really messing up, like why why go through the trouble right now? And that could be a lot of what I'm seeing. And in talking to a lot of CISOs, a lot of CISOs are doing the same thing. Like shit sucks at work, but hey, like there's not a lot of demand out there. So we're going to stick through it. <laughs> totally. And um, I got some comments here. My man Layton is on today. So it's a, he's here and he says um, there are plenty of available CISO candidates. So, interesting. He, he, you know, he's, he definitely is in this space um, much, much more than me. And he's, he, he sees folks all the time. So, um, Demand is, yep, Leighton agrees. The demand is definitely for the vulnerability vulnerability analyst type at this time. And DevSecOps is deep and wide for remote opportunities. I agree with that. I mean, the security engineers, the architects, the people who are can actually do the thing um, versus lead is what we're dealing with, I think, in this moment. Um, because I've seen that as well. Like this huge influx in that space. Automation, machine learning, um, using one hundred percent infrastructure as code. Um, what, what what insights do you see here, Dutch, from from your day to day work? Well, I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, spot on. So we'll I'll put a pin in the argument about DevSecOps because that's like a people <laughs> that's like a lightning rod for the term. So I, I don't personally have an issue with that because I understand what the intent is there, right? So. But I'll just sort of dig into that for a minute. So from from my perspective, talking and coaching and like trying to work with teams, the whole thing on DevSecOps is if the dev teams are driving your revenue, which is sort of implied a lot of times in a DevSecOps kind of movement, then it behooves all the rest of us to enable them, right? It's sort of like this, right? If uh, yeah, I worked at a large company and our mantra was like, if you weren't directly supporting the customer, support well the person who is. Right. And so so then really the devs become your customer, if you want to sort of think about it that way. Right. And so, um, you know, then then maybe let, lets you kind of re reframe how you want to interact with that. And there's lots of great ways that you could do that. Right. I've seen awesome movement towards security champions, security guardians, security, whatever phrase you want. Right. And that's taking somebody who has security domain expertise on either in some formal or informal way, making them available uh, to dev teams or engineering teams or product management teams. In some cases, over time, that grows to be like a habitual relationship. In other words, Renee is the security resource for human resources, right? And so they know, they're like, oh, if I have a question, I know I can go to Renee, right? And I can Slack her or I can whatever, message her. You know what I mean? And that makes it a more human thing because so often, at least from my perspective, a lot of mistakes are mistakes of effort, right? I'm trying to do a thing I don't know because I'm not a security person, right? And so I make a choice that has some, presents more risk or has some downstream impact. And if I had a friend, I knew I could reach out to Chris, you know, and Renee, 
then I might do that, right? And, and you may find those things. And then you're having a, a not, you know, uh, not sort of the more formal, like, oh, we're doing our quarterly training, you know, those are important. <laughs> I just rolled my eyes. I didn't mean to be, but you know what I mean? But there's, if there's a, a there's an informal relationship, but, it, but structured, then I know I can come to you and then you can coach me like one-on-one. And that's where the learning occurs. Chris can be like, hey, let me explain to you that we've made a choice to use fill in the block, fill in the blank uh, software, you know, the tool, it doesn't even matter. Right. And first of all, we just can't support 20. I know you love this one. It's super cool too. I like it, but hey, we just can't support that many. And then B, there's actually some risk. And I don't want to bore you, but there's more risks with this one than the other one. So yes, and and can we get you to this one? You know what I mean? So it gives people a lifeline. And then I've seen dev teams do trainings uh, for the security people. I think that's phenomenal. And I've seen it go the other direction. I've seen security teams in a fun way, and it's usually informal, bring you know, development or engineering folks and go, hey, like for a day, Chris, you know, we're going we're gonna to spend some time, you know, being a hacker. We're going to show you how to hack. And it's so much fun. People tend to love that. And by the way, open the open the doors as because Naomi's not here, right? And let people, by the way, let people from HR in, let people from legal, who cares? Like those kinds of things over time build awareness, not only awareness, because we're pushing really hard on awareness, super important. That has to start with awareness, but you need to get to knowledge. Awareness and knowledge are not the same thing, right? Awareness means, oh, I know when this rock, you know, rolls down the hill, it's going to crush that thing. Okay. You know, knowledge is how would I stop that from happening? (laughs) Those are two very different things. And right now we're at the very nascent part of awareness for average employees. What I mean by average employees, everybody else, right? So you've got to change the paradigm in my view and you have to get everybody. I I, I struggle because I get in discussions with CISOs about not everybody will care and I don't know if it's about caring, but it's understanding. People need to understand that security is, frankly, table stakes in this era, right? I mean, we don't expect, like, if it, Renee, if we hire somebody, do you, in, in some role in legal, do you quiz them for if they know how to use a word processing software solution? No, right? We don't, because that, that ship is sailed, right? There's just a de facto table stakes of what we expect right. a knowledge worker to have in terms of of, of understanding, right? Because enough time has passed. Everybody has that. It should, we got to get to those kinds of methodologies, Seacrest, um, with security, where people need to understand that security is just intrinsically part of how we do business. Right. And that's just, again, I don't want to lean too hard on it. And like, everybody's not going to kind of emotionally go like, oh, I love security and I care. Because then I have CISOs like, no, it's not their job to care. It's our job to care. But it's our goal, I say. It's our aspiration to create a culture where people understand that security is like quality. It has to be part of what we do. Right. Right. And I think that's a little bit about what Naomi was talking about last time um, when she said it's everyone's responsibility, (laughs) not necessarily that it's everyone's responsibility, but when you see something, say something, meaning that, you know, you, you have to be aware, you have to be, you know, responsible just like you would with your personal security you know mm-hmm. it is you know everyone's responsibility so more comments cedric is here hello everyone just showing up but i heard the conversation and he is on point meaning you dutch brent agree with you uh when you were typing in some things here um i think that was the yes yes but yes and. yes yes and yeah. yep mm-hmm. Um, early says, thanks for that enlightening answer, Renee. Thinking, I think it makes sense that there is a growing demand for IC security pros below the CISOs. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's always very, very often in all of these professions, there's only one CFO, only one CTO, <laughs> one CIO. So right. always to have a mountain of people underneath. Um, RPA is up too. What's RPA? Uh, oh, uh, robotic processing. Oh, obviously. robotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Think about yeah. Totally. so you see that term kind of used differently in different places. But yeah. Yeah, and I think Chris Chris touched on that. And I, I, I agree. We didn't go super deep on that. But yep. that's another kind of emerging dialogue is automation. I think I saw a post this morning. I don't remember who posted it on LinkedIn. But on, oh, I, you know, I do. Uh, it, it was from uh, Defense in Depth. But the, I think if I remember correctly, I think the question was, why are we still reluctant in security or seemingly reluctant to adopt more automation. And I think it's a it's a really a, a spot on question, right? There's a lot of automation out there and there's good experience in other domains, which would tell us that we need to get better at modeling 
better at quantifying things, better at automation. And, and, and I think specifically as we look out into the future, right, um, and see the the pace of DevSecOps, and I believe it is a term, you know, <laughs> that comment, I, I don't think it's not a term, but I know some people have struggled with it. But you look at DevSecOps, you look at the scaling, you know, that you need to do when you when you lean into DevSecOps, infrastructure as code, cloud, that I, I, I would be, it would be an interesting for you to, I would say it's really hard to get there without automation. I'm not saying, I never say no, but, but I, it was very hard, I think, to get, simply because you want have enough folks, right? I mean, so let's just pretend you have a, a team of 30 security folks, but you have 5,000 software developers and you have right. another 500 people who are in engineering and product management of sort of a related technical sort that you, that it's never one to one. It's not even close. Like it's not even linear, frankly, right? It's yeah. like logarithmic, I think, you know, is what, what, what somebody else would say. It's a widening gap, right? And so automation, just I'm being super general here, but automation is a technique, a, a set of tools and processes that we can use to start to to close that gap so that the three of us who are running security for you know 200 people could actually keep up with it in an effective way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, it was Leighton that said, give it up, DevSecOps yeah. is for real. <laughs> totally agree. I agree. <laughs> and he also says DevOps yep. is, is huge for demand, but baking and security side is more fun. And you know what I wanted to add um, to what you said just now, Dutch, around, you know, a security team of 30 and an engineering team of 500 or, you know, how many ever. Thousands, probably. Yeah. Thousands, right? Um, I got a request or someone reached out to me and said, you know, I, I see I... I've seen so many people struggle to break into security mm-hmm. and they don't have enough jobs and availability. You know, it's, it's not, not, not enough jobs, enough entry level roles. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, but in my organization, he works at one of these large, large organizations. Like there's this huge opportunity for people to get into all these other spaces, cloud and AI. I mean, there's so many different things. I was asking him about blockchain. Perfect. So, you know, again, taking those skills the to, to to the discussion today a the emerging the emerging areas the skills the what's hot what Je- um what Leighton is talking about with DevSecOps and these other um mm-hmm. opportunities some of the folks that you know obviously this is breaking into security if you could get in that way and then pivot over afterwards that's another option for folks too so yeah, and, and I think so, and, and I'll be, and Naomi's the most, you know, super passionate about this. So I don't want to speak on her behalf, but I would say, right. I, I agree with a lot of the things that Naomi, I think her intention and what she's really trying to raise awareness and get us to look at this. So I think the, the bottom line is really simple. It is, there's not a shortage of people. <laughs> there's not a shortage of humans. 100%. There's a shortage of creativity and how we think about bringing them in. There's a shortage of structured pathways, I'll call it for bringing people in. And so what I would say is like in the, in the 90s, as an example, there are tons of opportunities to go to large companies who had very structured internship programs and long ones, by the way. And there's also tons of training. And I'm, you know, been through, through multiple cycles now, the, the, the dot-com burst and then 2008 now, now today. So, uh, you know, those are all different but instructive. What I mean is a lot of those things were considered sort of not critical and they got cut right, over time at larger entities. So in an era where you used to be able to go to organizations and kind of learn that, you know, by doing, um, a lot of that has fallen away. And so we need to, to bring that back in. And there's also a narrowness, I would suggest, of if, if we're all sort of came up as practitioners and we all were sort of trained the same way, then you'll, then you'll lack diversity of thought, right? And that is really bad. So when you have an incident or you have a challenge, you need diversity of thought, all of the things that that implies, right? And we, we got to reach out and, and do a better job with this, right? So there's, there's, from my perspective, I look at like knowledge, skills, and competencies. And, and just for, like, just to delineate, because it sometimes helps people think, right? Knowledge is like we talked about, right? I learn a thing, I take a certification, I do studying, I ha- whatever. It, not downplaying that. That's the beginning. Like you have to have knowledge, in, you know, about something. Mm-hmm. A skill is... Renee knows how to do uh, endpoint detection and configure that, that, that agent. Okay. That's a skill. Okay. From my perspective, skills narrower. A competency is a skill that transfers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So competency would be learn on the fly, drive for results, dealing with ambiguity, presentation skills, right? Because then I could come from 
legal. I could come from logistics. I could come. And so that would, that changes the interview. If you can talk about people's competencies and then you can say, Oh, well, I mean, I don't have a competency in endpoint detection, but I have a competency in learning on the fly. Let me explain to you how I learned to do this task that was really outside of my domain expertise in finance. I can talk to you about, well, let me talk to you about drive for results. Let me show you how I'm a self-learner, you know, and competencies is just another way, like I said, because those transfer from role to role. Frankly, you can build competencies as a single parent. You can build competencies working for charity and everything, right? And just, I know like people smash them together. So I'm trying to pull them apart to say a (laughs) skill is a narrower, but probably deeper, right? But competency, and there's a list of them in the FY book. There's 67 of them. I've built job descriptions that way for a number of years because fortunately, I, I got lucky and was trained that way a long time ago. And I had that book. I made it, you know, it's earmarked. I've been using it for 25 years. And I, when I write job descriptions, along with whatever technical shortages or skills I'm trying to find, I use competencies to help write those. Right. And Dutch, you make such a good point. Last year when Dr. Dan used to be on every week, he probably would talk about competencies every single week (laughs) because he understood competencies and competency models Mm -hmm. and and hiring to competencies is what makes the organizations that hire the best talent successful. Because because we can train you, right? We can train you you and how we think about, right. Right. And frankly, we'll get better. We'll, we'll get better too, as you know, right? When you train yeah. something, then you get better at it, right? Like you, Cause you have to explain it to somebody. Exactly. You're like, Ooh, that, we have to really clarify how I think about this. Oh gosh, Renee is really an auditory learner. Like how do I, you right. know, I mean, it helps you. And yeah. then if you can build it, now you have a program, right? Renee exactly. just starts building a program. Now you can be like, Hey, go to your, your talent team, your acquisition team, your, your chief people officer, what, you know, however that's structured in your organization say, Hey, like we want to bring people in. You guys already know our business. That's that's critical. Right. You know, whatever it is that we do. And so we want to open the door and say, hey, come on in logistics, come on in finance, come on in HR, come on in legal, you know, and, and we can help train you on how vulnerability matrices work. Of we can course. do that part, right? But but screen for the competencies. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh we talked about I think we talked about this last week too. <laughs> it feels like it comes out every week. Um yeah. But uh, early makes a good a, a good point here. Hey Dutch, I like your point about cross training among among DevSecOps teams. That reminds me of my days in the U.S. Marine Corps, where they mm-hmm. really encourage cross training, and that's really, you know, cross training, upskilling, reskilling, all of right. that transferable skills, having competencies. I think the most overlooked job opportunities are the jobs that people already are in, or companies that people already are in. Um, yes. And, and, and if I could make a point, so so I was an army infantry officer, but I've I've a soft spot in my, in my in my heart. I have tons of friends who are in the core, and I would agree with early. And here's here's again context that may, may be sometimes helpful. In the military, when you join a unit, you take a role, you take a post, and you take a, a, a position. You always know it's finite. You're not going to stay there. Like if you stay at a particular post or base, typically two or three years, and so you always know you're leaving. Well, always knowing that you're leaving changes the way that you frame your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. And what I mean is, Mm -hmm. Renee, you're on your way out. You know that, right? So as a professional, you want to leave it in the best position that you you can, right? So you document everything, whatever that means in your your, domain, and you try to hand it to to early in a better spot than it was. And then early tries to do the same thing. And again, over time, maybe the needs change and he leans into one area or the other. But that's where partly the cross training comes from, right? Then there's also a necessity, of course, when you're talking about combat arms roles. But the cross training, it it helps everybody, right? Because then you can understand. Oh gosh, I I never really understood what it was like to be a talent acquisition manager, you know, and helping you know do a, a two week project or once a half a day every month. Just that cross training just fosters the awareness, understanding, empathy, all the things that are hard to train, but are so yeah. important for an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And to add on to, um, or to, to continue what I was saying in, in regards to the underutilized opportunities within mm-hmm. organizations, especially for folks who are in, are in these huge organizations. Um, I bring this up often. Look inside first, you know, look in your own backyard first. If you're in some big, if you're in a big organization, really try to 
um, Naomi says this really well. You know, go to the security team, ask how you can volunteer, ask yeah, how you can a great help. story around that. Yeah. Can, yeah, yeah, like how to yeah, learn. How yeah. How do you grow and learn and all of that? And they begin to know you and then you become the security champion for your group. And then next thing you know, when an opening, uh, you know, something opens up, you're the first person to get called because you have the transferable skills and you learned and you volunteered. And oh, by the way, the company is paying for you to get your certification or your degree or whatever. It, mm -hmm. it I mean, it just makes so much sense to do it inside of companies. And when people are, are making that transition, it's one of the easiest ways to do so. So if anyone are, you know, especially, I understand when it's a teeny tiny company, you can't move around sure. and there's not a lot of people. Yeah. In these big organizations where they can absorb people and they're looking, begging for it, nobody turns down free help. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's a good point. It's sort of like the old, like the homespun wisdom, you know, the, the grass is not always greener on the other side. The grass is greenest where you water it. That's right. Yeah, where you yep. make the investment. So yeah. if you, again, if you have the size and the capability, make that investment because they'll be they'll be so motivated, they'll be great. And again, they already know your business. Like in, in candor, again, as we, we know as we sort of move sideways or up in, in cybersecurity, that becomes mm -hmm. important, right? Um, that you you need to understand well, what is the how does the business make I mean this sounds sort of silly, but it's the truth. How does the business make money? How do yeah. we compete against the marketplace? What do right. customers think are critical about, you know, all these, these business things. And frankly, if you focus really heavily and it's understandable, but if you focus sort of on the, the 10,000 hours theory, in other words, I really get really skilled and that's, my, you know, my domain, I, that's totally understandable. But at some point, if you want to make a transition, then you have to take the hands off the keyboard a little bit and say, hey, I should go talk to, you know, in the cafeteria with my, my buddy in finance and find mm -hmm. out like, how do we position ourselves? How right. do we think of capital allocation? You know, I mean, or whatever it is, right? And, yeah. and that's the way of, and and so if you can bring people who already know how the company operates, that's gold to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the hardest part. The culture fit Absolutely. is the hardest part. Understanding yeah. who to the call, culture. who to yeah. know to get make something happen. I, I I have a funny little story. One of the um when yeah. my, when I came from HR and moved into security and. I was just picking up all kinds of little projects that the, the really engineering people didn't want to do. You know, they're like hey, engineering. I like that term. Engineering, like, <laughs> really technical, technical. You know, like yeah. these people, they were like, I don't want to write that. You know, like this is not what I came here to do. And so, um, what my leader, he was like, I love it because you know exactly who to call because I had been in HR for a while. I knew a ton of hiring managers, all of, like managers all over the sure. world. I was like, oh. So-and-so does that. Oh, I just hired somebody that does that. Oh, let me call yeah. such, such and such. And so the skill or the, you know, again, the competency, the transfer, what was useful, what made me valuable. Right. It's like this huge network of folks like, oh, she could get it done because they just didn't know because you're in there in that silo where I just, you know, as a, you know, when you're working in as like customer service and recruiting mm -hmm. and the help desk people, you know. Yeah. You yeah. learn, you know, all the folks <laughs> that call good, bad or ugly. Right. right. And that, and there's, there's no compression algorithm for time. Right? right. So your time and experience is so valuable there. Cause again, we can coach you and, and, and this goes beyond just um, like cybersecurity, like as a domain, same thing, by the way, is true as you look at industries, uh, you know, as well. Right. We, we, it's a natural yeah. tendency. You're like, Oh, we're in XYZ space. Let's go find other people who are in XYZ space and bring them over, right? And I think sometimes you have to resist that urge. I worked for uh, a Fortune 500, multiple ones, but, but many years ago, one. And at some point, my VP of HR pulled me aside. She's like, hey, how come you don't hire people from our industry? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't not hire people from our industry, but I also don't orient on that. And she's like, why not? I go, well, the company, it was Aero Electronics. Aero Electronics have been around since 19... 35, if my memory serves me correctly, I said, um, we already kind of know everything about this space. Like, I don't mean that arrogant, but like, but we've been here a long time. Right. So like expertise in this space, we got that. Like we have a ton of that. So I would rather bring somebody who, you know, some of my best hires were from completely different areas, right? Yeah. Like one of my favorite hires of all time, she was a director of a daycare center. And I brought her into a marketing role because she had an interest, she had an aptitude, I, I kind of put her through some paces and made her do a prezzo and show me some stuff uh, and show me how you made your, your you know, assumptions and whatever. 
But she ultimately became a phenomenal employee because she was so motivated to come in, but also she had a different viewpoint. Yeah. She looked at things completely different than a lot of the, my other team members who had been at the company 10, 15, 20 years. Right. So that we're back to that diversity of diversity thought. Of like thought. Yeah. Got to push yeah. on that. You have to find more ways to bring more better is more better. Bring more people in with different viewpoints, okay. understand what they bring to the table. Your example is spot on. That's a, that's a great example. Think about how much you compress the time and how effective you were because of yeah. that. Yeah. He was just yeah. like, you know who to call, you know? Yeah. So, so it was, and it, it's like a no brainer to me, but right. for them, you know, it, it, obviously what they were doing, I was like, how do you do that? You know? And they're looking at yeah. me like, how do you know who to call? So, um, all right. A couple more comments before sure. we wrap. It's almost 2 PM Eastern. So Cedric says the vulnerability assessments and critical criticality assessments are in demand because of the cyber supply chain risk management risk in our country. Sure. Totally agree. 100%. Early says, I totally agree with you, Dutch. Automation is key in improving cybersecurity. I love Nutanix's use of automation. Nutanix. 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 Ah. (laughs) Use of automation to efficiently secure their IT infrastructures to meet DOD security requirements. So, and Brent says here, Thanks all. Awesome show. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. Um, so Dutch, two minutes left. Yeah. Any word, final words of wisdom from you? Thank you. A first and foremost, thank you so so much for coming on, hopping sure. on today, being a, a wonderful repeat guest. We love having you on. You bring such a thank wealth y'all. of knowledge, thank different you. perspective, all that great stuff. So always happy to have you here. Um, any, any final words of wisdom for the people? Yeah, I, I think my final words of wisdom are, you know, so to end, what can you do at an individual level, right? What you could do at an individual level is same thing. How can you diversify your own thoughts? Right. So like, as you know, to some degree, like salt in, you know, I mean, if you're at a stage where you're really heavy into learning practitioner level skills, cool. But is there some other areas that you can also, you know, improve on? Cause you have to kind of probably push yourself to do that. Right. So do you need to join Toastmasters? Do you need to volunteer to be the presenter in the group, even though you hate doing that <laughs> or, you know, uh, or whatever. So think about those other things that would help you, you know, round out those skills. And even if you aren't on an aspiring CISO career path, that's cool. That is not everybody's jam. That's, that's totally fine. But still those other skills are important. And, and I'll, I'll leave you with the parting, you know, kind of a, a tidbit. And that is we use the word soft skills that came from a research study done by the U.S. Army. In, 19, in the early 1970s, I believe it was 1972. And interestingly, it didn't mean what we use it to mean today. It was just a way to say there's a set of skills that involve with turning a wrench, digging a foxhole, using a weapon, and then all of the other skills, they just called soft skills. And we sort of over time kind of made those sort of like almost pejorative, like, oh, they're less than the other skills. That was never the intention of the people who wrote their research study. It was just a way to delineate two types of skill sets. Right. So I'd love to reclaim what they meant, which was all of the people skills, because yep. those will likely delineate whether or not you are a great success, whether you're an individual contributor or a team leader, it doesn't matter. It's going to be those other skills, the emotional intelligence, the EQ, that's what's going to set you apart. So very important and so, so true, Dutch. So Early says, great work, Dutch, and really. team. Um, and John says, so glad I tuned in this week. Great information from the host and in the comments awesome. section. Thanks, John. Totally agree. So folks, we will see you again next Thursday for CISO Thursday. Next Thursday, 1 p.m. Um, Eastern here as usual. And then Chris Folon has... Um, He's doing breaking into cybersecurity tomorrow. I think 1 p.m. on his channel, on his um, LinkedIn Live. So make sure to check out what Chris has going on. Obviously, James Azar is up here pretty much daily. He does his 9 (laughs) a.m. That's why I get my text. A couple times a day sometimes, yeah. Right. Security news and everything else that he has going on. And Naomi, you know, she has her hot takes um, Absolutely. On LinkedIn, so. <laughs> she's she puts the pow in LinkedIn. <laughs> so. I love it. Thanks for that. I appreciate awesome. being on today. Thank you so much for having us. And see, see everybody next week. Bye, everybody. Peace.
in the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity. Your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.